Thank you. It's really an honor to be here for Bob, who um, I've known since 1987, and I'm very sorry to have lost him. Okay, so um, Mother to Baby Connecticut, quickly, there are brochures out um, outside the room. Is a free service here in Connecticut that U.S. providers can contact, patients can contact us about exposures during pregnancy, when they're planning a pregnancy, and also during breastfeeding. I know pediatricians, the breastfeeding question is not your favorite, so we, we will handle those for you as well, and that's how to reach us. Um, I was asked to, to talk about Zika virus um, today. In my lifetime, I, I didn't think there'd be another teratogen discovered. Um, and so part of me is really super excited because it's, I'm a scientist and um, this is very interesting to me and the other side of me is a parent and a counselor is devastated by um, how these kids are um, catastrophically harmed by this virus. So the objectives today, we're going to describe the variable clinical presentation, including the neurologic symptoms. We're going to explain the etiology of Zika V embryopathy as it's understood so far and we're going to describe what, when it's appropriate to include Zika virus in the differential diagnosis when evaluating infants and children who otherwise um, have an undefined etiology for their neurologic issues. Um, in all honesty, we made up this case report because we've fortunately not really had a child to evaluate and maybe you have. But um, the case report is something that I think um, you might encounter. So it's a new patient who's recently relocated to you, a 10-week-old female infant born at term. You were told and the exams were normal so far as per the parents because you, of course, don't have any medical records yet, as is typical oftentimes. Um, mom is 24-year-old Caucasian, uh, G1P0 mom, and dad's 28-year-old Hispanic Caucasian. And the parents' concerns, other than coming in for their first visit, is the child seems to be extremely irritable, has a lot of reflux, and mom describes that the muscles seem pretty stiff to her. Upon examination, you find the child has hypertonia, excessive posturing, persistence of primitive reflexes. The head circumference is falling off curve from earlier measurements um, as reports um, from mom uh, and medical records, you start to go through those, and you notice tremors and spasms. Um, further evaluations are ordered. You do a brain ultrasound. You see calcifications, dilated ventricles, and the labs come back. PCR for Zeke V is negative, but IgM, Zeke V, and serum in cerebrospinal fluid is positive. Um, you start to get a little bit of the pregnancy history. Mom reports it's normal, but she had very limited prenatal screening. She says it was uneventful medically, as per uh, mom. They did report traveling to Puerto Rico to visit family in the second trimester. They never discussed this OB, uh, this travel with the OB or the, their first pediatrician, um, because it wasn't in the news every night like it was back in 2016. So it wasn't really on their radar uh, to think about it. Um, and she didn't have any symptoms, as is true with most. So what is Zika? Zika was first described in monkeys in 1947 um, in the Zika forest in Africa, which is where it gets its name. It's a single-stranded RNA flavivirus. It's closely related to dengue, yellow fever, Japanese encephalitis, West Nile. And it's transmitted to humans primarily by um, Aedes mosquitoes, um, Aedes aegyptus and Alba picti. Aside from being transmitted through mosquitoes, it also has maternal fetal transmission, intrauterine transmission, and the other transmission 
um, variables are sexual transmission, blood transfusions, laboratory exposures. And then theoretical, still exploring the, the likelihood or possibility of organ, organ or tissue transplantation, transmission, or breast milk. So this is just sort of the, the timeline of where it began and how it sort of migrated in our direction um, on the map. In 2007, 20, 2007, it was at Yap Island in the Federal, Federated States of Micronesia. And then in 2013, 2014, spread further to Polynesia, uh, French Polynesia, New Caledonia, Cook Islands, um, Easter Island. By 2015, in Samoa, Solomon Islands, and Fiji, and then the Americas in 2015. South, Central American countries, Mexico, Puerto Rico. And then February 2016 is probably when you heard most about it. That's when it hit Brazil. Um, and in July 2016, the first locally acquired cases were reported in the Miami-Dade and Brownsville, Texas area. So we did have some locally acquired cases in the U.S., but not many. The big thing here is that in February of 2016, that's when it was um, declared a public health emergency. And, um, you know, over 2 billion people lived in areas where the Zika virus could be transmitted. Um, there were over 4 million infections in the Americas in 2016. Most, like I said, 8 out of 10 don't have symptoms, so it's not really easy to know who's had it and who hasn't. And one-third of the reported cases in Brazil were being reported as children with microcephaly. Current countries, um, I, I, I just list continents, basically, um, because there are just too many to list on one slide. Um, the North America, the only country in North America is Mexico. We currently have, this year, did not have any um, locally acquired Basically, these are all the places that we want to go in the wintertime. <laughs> so um, we get a lot of calls about people wanting to take, um, what do they call it, baby moon? Whatever you do before you have a baby, right? That wasn't a thing when I was having my children. Um, Zika virus has an incubation period about 3 to 12 days, and the viremia can uh, last about a week but longer in some. Like I said, 80% are asymptomatic, and the symptoms are, are really nonspecific, a mild fever, skin rash, joint pains, muscle aches, headaches, all of which a pregnant woman could experience anyways. The conjunctivitis is the only one that might be a little um, out of the realm of what we would expect in pregnancy. So you can see if you're pregnant and you have a, a rash or you have aches and pains, it's going to be hard to just differentiate whether that's pregnancy-related or disease-related. Severe disease is really uncommon. I know some people get Guillain-Barre, but um, severe disease is uncommon, and you usually don't die from this, so it's... it's pretty uneventful. Pregnancy, so far we don't think that you're at increased susceptibility because you're pregnant. You can get infected in any trimester. There's no sort of safe time. Um, there's no evidence that a, a mom will have a more severe disease. And um, of course, the sexual transmission via semen is a possibility. And we've recently changed the, the waiting period from six months to three months for men to wait. But it's still a risk. Okay, so some basics for for teratology, you have to remember and go back to our, our basics, which Dr. Greenstein would have taught us, is the background risk for birth defects in every pregnancy is about 3 to 5%. And not, all, not every teratogen is going to cause a birth defect 100% of the time. So just because you're exposed doesn't mean you're going to have an adverse outcome. And just because um, you have a baby with a birth defect doesn't mean that the exposure caused it. What we're seeing with the, the Zika virus is severe microcephaly, where the skull is actually partially collapsed. 
We see decreased brain tissue with a specific pattern of brain damage. Um, in the, the literature, you might read that lisencephaly is reported, but actually it's simplified gyral pattern. Uh, ventricular megaly and cerebral calcifications, that's a very common marker, of course, for infectious disease. Uh, lots of eye damage, um, joint contractures, club foot, and uh, hypertonia is also reported. Well, now, also remember with microcephaly, just because you have a small head doesn't mean your brain is not functioning properly. So there are going to be individuals who have small heads and, and normal brain function. Um, just to keep that in mind, and then a quick schematic to remind us of what microcephaly um, looks like. Okay, so clinical management, if this had been, our patient had come to us pregnant, um, we would have, um, and we had known that she had traveled, she would have been tested. And if she had come back positive or inconclusive, then we would have done ultrasound, serial ultrasound, maternal fetal medicine would have seen her once a month to track the baby's growth and um, look at um, brain formation. And then at postpartum, at delivery, we would have examined the placenta and umbilical cord. We would have done our usual uh, pediatric physical exam, the usual, um, and then considered further head ultrasound and eye exams, and then consider testing infant specimens. If we see that there's definite congenital uh, microcephaly, that would be in a live birth, a head circumference of less than the third centile for gestational age or sex, or a head circumference at birth if it's not available, that's less than the third centile for age and sex within the first two weeks of life. And stillbirths and elective terminations, we still want to see the head circumference less than the third centile. Possible congenital microcephaly would be a live birth if there's not an earlier head uh, circumference available that's less than the third centile for age and sex beyond six weeks of life, and for all pregnancy outcomes, uh, microcephaly diagnosed or suspected on that prenatal ultrasound with an absence of available postnatal head circumference uh, measurement would be considered possible in general microcephaly. So what do we do, we do with these infants and young children that possibly have been infected with Zika virus? They're, of course, going to get their standard routine, the recommendation for birth, um, and during each well visit, their routine exams. But we're also going to do some laboratory testing. Infants born to moms with laboratory evidence of confirmed or possible Zika infection in pregnancy, and infants with one or more clinical finding, findings, regardless of whether mom was tested negative or otherwise. Anybody been done this with their kids? No one's had any? Okay. I guess that's good, right? Um, or we're missing them, right? Um, so infants and young children, we're still going to offer uh, cranial ultrasound and other brain imaging to get a better look at how the brain is doing and a comprehensive ophthalmolo ophthalmologic evaluation before their age one. So the congenital Zika virus, um, of course, it, we've learned that it predominantly affects neural tissue. And it's not a, a malformation, but a disruption, okay? So the brain is developing normal and then abruptly stops forming properly. And we are left with things like redundant scalp and collapsed skull because if the skull was formed properly and then now it's not, you're going to have extra skin. The microcephaly that we talked about, the gyral pattern, um, the calcifications, ventricular megaly, the eyes, anything basically that has to do with central nervous system is going to be something that we're going to be investigating or looking, looking for. <clears throat> so in our case, 
let's say, if we think about um, our patient traveling in the second trimester, so even if she had had an ultrasound, it, may, it usually takes after exposure 15 to 20 weeks later that you start to see the disruption in the, the neural tissue. So we might have still missed that even if she had been followed um, with ultrasounds. Um, and then later infection in pregnancy sometimes equates to less effect on, 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 on the infant. And the other thing to remember is 50% of maternal inf infections are, are undetected or asymptomatic. Okay, so now we're gonna look at a little bit about how this looks. So here's five different children presenting slightly different um, phenotypic characteristics. We're gonna take a look at how the, the forehead looks from front on. The last two children, D and E, don't have the same sort of triangular forehead that the first three have a little bit more of. Um, let's see, some have less significant microcephaly. Um, let's see. So I just wanted to show you the variation in skull. So I don't know that you would, the, the child E from the front doesn't really look anything like child A. And this is, you know, again, as a par my parent's side, not my, my genetic side, is a um, very disturbing, unsettling photograph of how, and, um, how the brain and the, has collapsed in on itself. This child, let's see, what do we know about him? I think this makes, makes the greatest impression. I think if we, you know, we've seen something like this on ultrasound, um, we'd be very concerned, but seeing it um, in this setting um, makes us realize this is a child going to have catastrophic issues. Um, so what does microcephaly look like for, for the child? The child can have seizures, you know, again, I'm preaching to the choir here, developmental delays, intellectual disabilities, problems with movement, balance, feeding, hearing loss, and vision problems. And so for our kid, um, you know, those are all things that we're going to be thinking about what are the possible outcomes, even though the child is still doing quite well. Here's the a picture of the excess scalp skin. Um, Sometimes it's just the fold in the front, and sometimes it's all the layers in the back, and sometimes it's the back of the neck. So that's also variable. Limb abnormalities, um, the contractures, the, the, and um, you can see in A, let's see, distal finger contractures are campidactyly, and then um, the B is a wrist contract wrist contracture. C shows you a semi-increase, um, which is a sign of how the, the fetus was moving in utero or not moving in utero. Uh, those fingers have contractures too. And then sometimes it's just a dimple. See the dimple in the elbow and D. Um, and then also the feet, distal contractures and club feet for the last baby. So these are, these are pretty significant things that you, you wouldn't miss. Um, but you need to remember though. Think about Zika when you see them. And this, again, um, is another bait, another two children who have limb abnormalities and have hypertonic trunk extensor posture, um, report distal tremors and spasticity, spasticity of the lower limbs.
These are pictures from um, the article that I referenced at the end, but uh, you may have seen these, these before. And the eyes, there are a lot of stuff that are, that go, that are going on with, with eyes, um, not just hyperphthalmia, but um, congenital cataracts, calcifications, coloboma, really runs the gamut here. And there's a laundry list. So the most common would be focal pigmentary modeling, chorioretinal atrophy, the optic nerve findings that are more common are hypoplasia, cupping, and atrophy. We also can see uh, retinal lesions that are listed here, congenital glaucoma, or subluxation of the lens. Okay, so how does this happen? Why does it happen? Well, in studying it, we've just detected that it's found in um, chorionic villi in the placenta. It's been detected in the brain tissue of microcephalic fetuses, and it appears that the primary target is the neural progenitor cells, and they result in cell death and disruption of proliferation, migration, differentiation, which slows the brain growth and affects um, the neural cell viability. And then, in, and we, of course, then we want to go in, in teratology, we always want to go back to the animal data and say, does this happen the same way in animals? And we are seeing that, com that confirmed as well. So, again, remember, this is a disruption, not a malformation. Um, Long-term effects, so we haven't really been studying it long enough to know as much as we'd like to know about these kids, and, and they'll be continued to be studied. Most of the data is children around one or less. Um, 2016 is this um, Vanderlin study out of Brazil. They had 13 children who um, were positive for Zika but had normal head circumference at birth like our case supposedly did. Um, all had brain abnormalities on neuroimaging consistent with what we've seen with other kids with Zika virus. Um, and the earliest evaluation was on the second day of life. And all infants had head growth. Um, head growth was documented to have decelerated as early as five months of age and 11 infants had actual microcephaly. So again, when I'm counseling a pregnant woman who's traveling and she comes back, she gets tested and she's found to be positive, there's never a point in the pregnancy where we can say, okay, we don't need to worry anymore. We can do an ultrasound, we can do serial ultrasounds, the baby can be delivered and look great, and we can still have these concerns. Or I think was, of course, a bigger issue in, in some of the, the countries with less infrastructure than we have, but what do we do with all these children and all their special needs? How do we care for them? I think in Brazil, some of the children were, were left to die, quite honestly. Um, you know, they're going to need a lot of support depending on their, uh, on their, how impacted they are. Um, and we don't know the full extent of all the children that may have milder um, effects that we haven't really noticed or, or identified yet. Uh, the incidence, what's the incidence? And this is um, U.S. territories and freely associated states. And this, these are numbers from 2018. They looked at 1,450 children whose mothers had actually had lab evidence of confirmed or possible Zika virus in pregnancy. 6% had at least one Zika V associated birth defect. 9% had at least one neurodevelopment abnormality. And 1% had both. So it comes out to one in seven were affected in some way. Um, that's a pretty large, a pretty large percentage for, for terror. Teratogens. Most teratogens, we're going to say the incidence of, a, of harm or it's going to be 1% or less. 
the biggies like thalidomide and isotretinoin are only 25, 30%. Um, and so this is, um, it runs close to that. So for future information, I mentioned we're going to be following these children, and the CDC has some things set up here. Um, they're following up children in Puerto Rico for three years with this ZAP study, um, and then um, in the U.S. for one year, in their, in their calling U.S. Zipper. Um, the vaccine, I haven't heard much about it lately, so I don't know where we're at with that, but we're still making all the recommendations that the CDC is recommending that that patients who are pregnant or planning a pregnancy uh, not travel to those areas or wait when they return before they uh, conceive. Um, and then the Zika vital signs, you can look at the CDC has a whole Zika page. It's very involved and very in-depth. So um, there's even a, a widget there for if you have a patient that's been exposed, you can walk through and answer questions and it'll tell you whether you should test or not test or what, what would be indicated for that patient. Um, but they also have lots of data there about um, what you can specifically do for a child with that you think might have Zika virus. Um, hopefully at some point there actually be, you know, flow, there are flow diagrams, but more precise steps in how to follow. And of course it's in English and Spanish on that webpage. Our webpage, Mother to Baby, has a Zika page as well. It's, it's more streamlined and it's more user-friendly for, for patient. Um, usability. It's not geared for pediatrics per se, it's geared for OB, but many of your patients, you know, may be um, pregnant a second time and still traveling back and forth. We have a large Puerto Rican and Dominican population that travels back and forth on a regular basis. So um, those are people that, that we could still be concerned about. Sites here for you to go to. Like I said, that's the Zico um, CDC site. What, what I'll mention is the World Health Organization sometimes comes out with different recommendations than the CDC does, and we stick with what the CDC says. So I think World Health Organization says certain places are okay, are okay to travel to. I had a discussion with a patient on the phone recently who said, well, the WHO said, and I said, well, I still am going by what the recommendations from the CDC our mother to baby site is down there at the bottom, and the HRSA site, we get um, some of our funding from the feds and the HRSA funding, um, they have their own website for Zika as well. I don't know if anybody's perused any of those. Um, they're pretty involved. My references for today, um, the last reference is the one where all the, the slides came from. Um, uh, Miguel was nice enough to <laughs> walk me through some of them, um, and he was actually the individual, he's out in San Diego, but he actually examined examine those kids. So bottom line with Zika is we still, it's not on the news every night, but we still need to keep that in mind when we're looking at kids where we really can't figure out what's going on. Um, you may see them in, in general practice, you might see them if you're in ophthalmology or in um, neurology. I don't know, Joe, can you say has anybody been referred in for Zika to genetics? They probably go to neurology first. We haven't seen any. Yeah. Um, they, may, they may end up coming more to CCMC than to Farmington if they're patients that live more locally in Hartford or come into CCMC for care otherwise than come, you know, neurology or whatever. But um, I suppose that's a good thing that we haven't seen a lot, but I am concerned that, they, that we've missed some. And now those may be the, the individuals that are less impacted, um, kids with the obvious um, 
deformations are going to be picked up. It's, it's the other kids that we, that we worry about that we're missing. And that's just how to read. I think there's one more. So mother to baby is, is nationwide. So anywhere you end up, if you don't stay in Connecticut, you'll have a service that will, that will answer your questions. Um, we have a Zika task force now in our organization um, that helps keep us up to date and is in direct contact with the CDC with what's new that's coming out. Um, anywhere you dial that 866 number, depending on where your cell phone is out of, you'll get the service that takes care of you. Here in Connecticut, I answer calls from Connecticut, Vermont, Virginia, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Delaware, because all those other states don't have services. So we divvy them up based on time zones so that we can get everybody's questions answered. Uh, we don't text or chat, but you can text or chat. You can live chat. UConn doesn't think it's HIPAA compliant enough, so they don't allow me to, to text or chat, which is fine, but we can email. Um, but other services are texting and chatting. So if you have issues and you want to talk to somebody right away, you can text or chat and another service will, will get right back to you. And it, providers can use us and patients, and we're English and Spanish nationwide as well. <laughs>